I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Up in the Servants' Ministry of the Talents. This is a part three in stewardship. And again, a reminder, you may be seated, uh, a reminder that we are... uh, uh, we started this with, with, the, with the talents. One servant was given five, one servant was given two, and one servant was just giving a single talent. The one with five invested his talents, and he doubled it. The one with two invested his talents, and he doubled it. The one with the single talent, he buried it in the ground. When the Lord came back to see what uh, his servants had done with what he had given them, he was, uh, he was very pleased with the one with five. He was pleased with the one with two. But he told the one servant who had had the single talent that buried it, he said, I'm going to throw you out of outer darkness for there's weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth because you did not do with what I gave you what you should have done. And so with that in mind, these, these lessons allow us to know that when God has invested something in every one of us, No one person is exempt from having something that God has invested in them. It's 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 vital. It's 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 mandatory, if you would, for people to realize how how God has given you something, an ability, and whatever it may be. And it can be what you think is so minor, but to God, there is no such thing as minor. To God, everything is major. If God has given you a gift. That's something he's invested in you, and he wants you to invest it in others. And, and we've talked about Moses. He was an example of this. We've talked about Samuel. He was also a, a great example of this. And tonight, I want to start with Acts 9, 1 through 6. Acts 9, 1 through 6. Rather than get my Bible out, I'm just going to read it off here. Acts 9, 1 through 6. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter, against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. I think that's all I had. It was, yeah, it's one through six. <clears throat> Here, God appeared unto Saul of Tarsus, later to be called Paul the Apostle. And this is on the road to Damascus. And the Lord said to him, why are you persecuting me? He did not separate persecuting his people from persecuting him. By persecuting Christians, Saul was persecuting Jesus himself. And this is this is this is uh, this is something that that all of us need to understand that when someone comes against you as a true Christian, they are not coming against just you. They are coming against the Lord. That is why the Bible tells us to bless them, to curse you, and pray for them to despitefully use you, because by so doing. You are looking at that individual that's coming against you in a very difficult or hard manner, if you would, and knowing that that person doesn't know exactly what they're doing because they are not persecuting just you, that they are coming against Jesus himself. When someone turns you down, coming to church, when someone turns you down for a Bible study, when someone turns your testimony back on you in some way, they're not doing that to just you. They are doing that to the Lord. And so with that kind of power, because that's what we have, with that kind of power, if we, we flaunt that in some way, God will turn it back against us. But if we can keep humble with that kind of power, God will take care of the rest of it. There is such a, a, a fine vein that we have to, to flow in, if you would, that, that we, we do not allow 
people to, to anger us. I, I, I told my wife, I, every time I think I've got it together on certain things, and, and I, I, I'm doing real well, I think my anger's under control. Uh, I, I'm, and, you know, most of mine is road rage, honestly. Anybody else have road rage? Uh, 90% of mine's road rage. I pulled out on the road the other day, out of our, our road, onto the 46, and I, I'm one of those people that, you know, if you've got a car seven and a half miles down the road, I won't pull out. I, I mean, I, that's lengthy, but I won't pull out in front of them because I just don't like people to do that to me, so I don't do it to them. So I look, and there's this car way down on the bottom of Park Hill. Well, I pull out, and by the time I get straightened out on the road, that car's on my rear end. I'm in the left lane. He passed me on the right and blew his horn, and is absolutely, I had white-hot rage go through me. I mean, absolute white-hot rage. And I didn't, I couldn't, it was dark. I couldn't see if it was male, female. It didn't matter. And I found myself chasing them. And they were doing fast. They were doing 80, and I was doing 85. And I got up behind him because you don't do that on 46. There's always some old grandpa out there. There's always. So it got stopped. I pulled him behind him, and I laid into the horn. And I just wanted him to pull off because I was so mad, I would have had to resign early. Thank God they scared them so bad they took off and got away. So it was, you know. And then I repented the rest of the trip. Anybody else do that? I read the rest of the trip. I said, God, why in the world did I do that? Why did I? I know. It's not that I haven't been praying. I've been doing all the right things, but it just hit me. It was just, it caught me off balance. So being caught off balance. So there's that vein I'm talking about. We have to be ready at all times because we don't know. Our nature is still there. I don't care how much we fast, how much we pray. Our nature is still there. And if we're caught off balance, if we don't keep everything together and, and control our thought process and don't allow impulse to take us, because that was impulse. That was absolute impulse. And we all do that. And, and thank God that, I, that he takes care of us in those times or there could be bad situations that can occur. So, so it's, it's following and, and following after the vein that we're supposed to be. So we move on, and he says, In a vision the Lord calls Ananias. Now, here, here we, you see what I'm talking about. So by name. And his reply was, Behold, I am here, Lord. So Ananias is now called out. Paul has been called out, and he said, It's, it's hard, for, Paul, for you to kick against the ox goads. That's what pricks means, ox goads. And, and, and Saul then replies to him, He said, Lord, what will you have me to do? Now, Saul did not use the same words as Samuel, but the meaning was the same. Paul was saying, Here I am, Lord. Just tell me what you would have me do. Now, God is working on the other end, saying, Ananias, he said, I got something for you to do. And so Ananias says, Behold, I'm here, Lord. Now, Ananias shows great willingness with his first reply, but when he finds out that he's got to go pray for Saul of Tarsus, he begins to question God. Afterwards, the Lord explains, For he is chosen vessel unto me, and to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, when Saul is called out, Saul of Tarsus, the apostle Paul, when he's called out, what God says to him, he said, I, I, I'm telling Ananias, or at least he's telling Ananias about it, I'm calling this man out to suffer, Ananias. Hey, I, I, I don't know, every time I see that, and I, I, I recently we, I talked about this, but every time I come across this, I keep looking at this, and I, I realize that here... The great apostle Paul, what made him so great? What made him the writer of 14 books in the New Testament? What made him uh, the man who had all the wisdom of Gamaliel, the, the man who had all of this going for him? What still, still, what, what did God ask him to do? He asked him to suffer. He asked him to be uh, let down out of the wall of Jerusalem in a basket at one time. He, he asked him to be stoned to death when he actually died and went to the third heaven and God restored his life to him. He asked him to be beaten, to be in shipwrecks. He asked him to do these things, yet Paul did every one of them, not backing down. Here was a man of great wisdom, had great knowledge, and yet he could suffer because he had an experience with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Do you see what I'm saying? You've got an experience with Jesus Christ, so whatever you have to endure should never be that much because it's only for a season, and what comes at the end? 
What causes a man to, they say by, by uh, legend, that he ran to the chopping block to have his head removed in Rome? What causes a person to do that? What kind of relationship with God does he have that would cause that? And we have got the very same thing. Do you understand? Give me my hand clap if you understand what I'm saying. Now this is Saul. Now let's look at let's look at uh, let's look in the tenth chapter of Acts. The apostle Peter is praying on the housetop, and God gives him a vision about clean and unclean beast. The Lord speaks to Peter, saying, "What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common." Now this happens three separate times. And while Peter is thinking on this vision, some men come to where Peter was and ask for him. And the Spirit says unto Peter, he said, go with them, doubting nothing. He said, now, I just, there's some men coming. You don't know them, but you go with them. Don't you doubt. Because he's sending him into something <laughs> that would cause a Jewish man to doubt. He said, but I don't want you to doubt. I want you to dis- ju- dis- just do what I ask you to do. So Peter went down and find out what the men wanted. And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God and of good report among all nations of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for you into, into his house and to hear words of you. Next, 10.22. He said, a centurion, Cornelius, he was told by an angel to send for you and to listen to what you have to say. Now, Cornelius was a Roman soldier, and the Jews were not supposed to enter the home of a Gentile. However, Peter had already been told by God to go, and he said, that's why he said, don't you doubt. I know that you're not supposed to go into the home of the Gentile, but I'm sending you to the home of the Gentile, and you're going to go in. And while Peter was yet speaking the word of God to them, the Holy Ghost fell upon all which heard the word. Uh, Peter then says, can any man forbid water? But these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. There, again, a a man that went against everything that he held uh, in high esteem, if you would, or in a religious uh, way, but yet he had a word from God simply saying, do not doubt. Let me ask this question. Someone raise your hand and answer it. <clears throat> I've asked this question before, but we'll see how many of you remember it. If you pray every day for an hour, which you should, if you pray every day for an hour, and you fast once a week, and what you pray for, and how much time you spend praying, and you come to that particular point where you keep asking and asking and asking, and it doesn't seem to be happening the way that you think that it should. Do you believe that it's possible for you to pray less and believe more and have your prayer answered? Anybody? Can you pray less and believe more and have your prayer answered? What do you, how do you make that division? What do you make that dividing line? What would you say? I mean, I, I, the, there is an answer to this. At least in my mind, there's an answer to this. But where is it that importunity, you know, the unjust judge and the, and the widow kept saying, avenge me of my adversary, avenge me of my adversary, and finally he got so sick of hearing her, you avenge her of the adversary. Where do we draw the line?
It's kind of a hard answer. It is a hard thing to answer. Go ahead. The timing is off, you think? Timing is off. Anybody else? Go ahead. Okay. Anybody else? Go ahead. Real good and loud. I got terrible hearing. Where God will just let you know there, and and there is that you know we're we're not really into that, but yet this is a good point to try to put this in. There is the gift of faith. There is the fruit of faith, and there is the measure of faith. Every man's given a measure of faith, and then there is the fruit. Well, which is the the fruit of the spirit's love. They, they, and I always miss, miss say this, but faith is an aspect of love. When a person perfectly loves God, your faith is in whatever his answer is, and you don't, you don't get upset about it. But now the gift of faith is where you get up and go beyond, and, and it's not used in every aspect, but there are times that it, it's, you know it. You just absolutely know it, and the Holy Ghost said, this is going to occur. That's how I felt about Anthony in, in this situation. It was, just, it was like a gift of faith. That was, I knew this was going to happen. Uh, and, and I stand on that. And when you do, you just stand on it. You just firmly stand on that situation. But we go back to prayer and the how, how long do I ask and how much do I pray. I think the key here. And I think the importunity, I know she kept going. Now, this was the unjust judge. And, and the continuation of that scripture, he said, how much more would your father do for you, which is in heaven? So he wasn't really making a comparison to the unjust judge. He was just saying, if this widow woman can get this guy who's unjust to change his mind, then how much more uh, uh, the God who loves you will do for you? The key is in the prayer. It is always, and, and, and we've been doing that a lot here, it's not a matter of praying so much for what you want. It's a matter of just loving God in your prayer and just letting him know how much you trust him and how much you have confidence in whatever he's going to do and not just making it uh, something that comes out of your mouth, but rather something that comes out of your heart. That is the key to, to, to continuation in prayer. It's not a matter of just uh, of, of constantly getting down and praying over the same subject over and over and over again. There is a time for that, and there's a reminder that you do of God. But it's not a matter of getting down and just constantly. Intercessory prayer, for instance, is not a matter of interceding for a want or a need. It's a matter of interceding for the will of God, which is souls or for healing or something that is the will of God. But when we get down to pray, it's a matter of praying beyond the need. It's going further than the need. It's going into the trust, the level of, of I, God, I love you no matter what. And that's very, very difficult to do and easy to say. But that's, that's, that's the key, I think, for all of it. And that's where, that's where we all have to really come to that understanding. Well, let's look at some of this, uh, just going a little bit further. Now, Peter explains to the other disciples while he went into the house of a Gentile. He then tells him about the vision and the Gentiles receiving the Holy Ghost, the same way the 120 had received it on the day of Pentecost. Peter then baptized them and said, What was I that I could withstand God? And from that time on, the door was open for all the Gentiles. Now, this is important to all of us that are not Jews because that, that Peter had obeyed God. Peter did not actually say, here am I, send me. However, his actions showed his total submission to God. There was a total submission to the Spirit of God. And that, again, was the key. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, we say, And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. It is time to give our abilities. Did you read that? I, I, I did a, a study some years back. There are actually within 
within what I just told you. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, I'm going to read it again. And God has set some on the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, that within that there are 99 different gifts. That breaks down to 99 different things. And you see, we don't realize that what we have is just as important to the body as the apostle. You know, you may be helping the church, which breaks down to how many you can just think off the top of your head. What's a help in the church? It's a help in how many areas? You know, how many areas? And it's, it's to God that's just as vital. When we are fulfilling the, and using the talent God has given us, if you've got a talent of scraping gum off the bottom of the pews, you ought to be using it. He said, what kind of talent is that? Well, get underneath there and try it and you'll see. You know, if you've got that ability to do anything, we use it, then this is when God begins to bless a person. What I'm saying is this. We go back to the prayer issue. Do you think that possibly that because we are not using what God has given us that we fail in getting our prayers answered? Because God keeps prodding you to do whatever it is that you have the ability to do, but yet you fail in those areas. It's something to think about. In Acts 6, 1 through 8, it says there was an issue that arose, and we've, we've studied this before, and I won't spend a lot of time on it, between the widows and the Hebrews and the, and the widows of the Grecians over the distribution of food. The apostles did not want to continually leave the Word of God in order to settle disputes between the groups, so they decided to appoint those among them who had an honest report full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. They appoint seven men, and one of the men stood out from the others. His name was Stephen. The Bible says that Stephen, full of faith, here we go, there's a faith issue, and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, here's a man who has wisdom, he has power, he's got great abilities, but yet he's just a deacon. Or is a deacon just a deacon? You see what I'm saying? But you see, that's the first thing we say, oh, it's just a deacon. But yet, here's a deacon. He does miracles. He's got power. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he stirs up such a mess, he gets killed over it. How many, how, many, how many, you know, preachers go to that extent? I mean, this is a man who had something going for him. He had great faith. He believed God. He didn't care that he was going to get stoned to death. It didn't matter to him. And he was just a deacon. You know, you don't, you, don't, you don't think about things like this. Then there arose out of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them the Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. This man showed the true spirit of a Christian. Stephen delivers a message that cut them to the heart. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin. Look at this. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had, just said, excuse me, he had said this, he fell asleep. And Luke 13, 34, then, Jesus, then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. All of us have the potential to be full of the Holy Ghost and to be used, as Stephen was, and to have such a spirit of forgiveness. There's another aspect of faith, is the ability to forgive. The ability to, to and, and, and I will always come back to this whenever I see the word forgive. Forgiveness is not something that is given instantaneously. I'm sorry, I don't believe it. Maybe there's a few out there that can. Uh, but the only way to really know that is when something similar to that happens again and you see where your mind goes, then you know whether you've truly forgiven or not. I think forgiveness is a process, and I think you have to work on that process to totally get something out of your heart where you can forgive and forget. And that is a process. The person who can, you know, can, can instantly do this, and I know, uh, I know, I can take you all the Scripture, you know, how often must I forgive a man? And well, every time a man repents, you're supposed to, to forgive him. And that's what the Bible says, 70 times 7, and in Luke it says, as often as he does this, you forgive him. But the key word there was repent. How many people truly repent of some kind of offense? Repentance means they're going to stop doing it. That's what the word means. Repentance means I am not only sorry for it, I'm sorry enough to quit doing what? 
I did to cause this problem. And very seldom do you find someone who can truly quit doing the same thing over and over and over to someone else. Very seldom. So the key word here, so it's a matter of us having to work through the situation and get above that situation. And not take something and internalize it and say, well, I've forgiven them and become so bitter that later on you backslide over something that happened five years ago. All right. God is looking for those who will say, here am I, send me. He's not looking for those who have so many excuses they cannot completely sell out to God. Every person is different. Every minister will also be different. But God knows what he has called each of us to be. If we will make ourselves available to God, he'll lead us into his perfect will. First Chronicles 28, 10 through 20. It should come up behind me here. But I'm going to read it to you. It's, it's, just, it's a great uh, verse of Scripture. And David said to Solomon, his son, he said, Be strong and of good courage, and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. And behold, the courses of the priests and the Levites, even they shall be with thee for all of the service for the house of God. And there shall be with thee for all the manner of workmanship, every willing, skillful man, for any manner of service. Also the princes and all the people will be holy at thy commandment. It is no different as each help build the house of God, because you've got to understand that we're still building. And it's not something that is an external building, because the house of God truly is in the hearts of each and every one of us. That's where the house of God is, and we're all still working on it. And it's, 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 it's very, very necessary for us to, to, to realize that it, it, you know, the house of God is not a building, it's people. And it's people from every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation, according to Revelations 5.9. These are the words used in the book of Revelation to describe the church in heaven. It is not time to be discouraged. You cannot be discouraged in this late hour. And we are in late hour. Because the very fact is that we're living on the precipice of the coming of the Lord. We're not living a few years in advance. We're living on the precipice. God could come at any time. We're living in the, in, in the season of the return of the Lord. We're living in the season of the rapture of the church. And we're not saying it's going to be in the future. Everything, every, everything has been fulfilled pretty much. The only thing left to be fulfilled when it comes to prophetic or any, any prophecy is the rapture of the church. And then after the rapture of the church, the tribulation. The next thing that has to occur is the catching away of the church. Absolutely, we are on the precipice of this. We can't, uh, we, of course, we will continue to plan and we'll continue to do things like we're going to have in the next hundred years. But if we've got the next three or four years, I'll be surprised. I really will be surprised. That doesn't mean that it can't happen, but I will be surprised if it does. So it's not time to be discouraged, nor is it time to fear. Each of us is to, is to be there for, for our, each other. At, at, at the time that we're living in, we need to be there for one another more than we've ever been in the times past we have to we have to learn to forgive we have to learn to lay things aside we do have to do that and even though sometimes it takes a process to get it out of our hearts we have to act like we're we have to work on it you know the ability for me to 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 look at one of you and to help you even though i don't like you is one of the greatest abilities in the world You, you you know and you do it because you look at someone the way jesus looked at them if Jesus can say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do while he's hanging on the cross, then why in the world can't we do the same thing? And even though, again, I have to work on it maybe for weeks, months, whatever, I'm not going to let that person that needs my forgiveness know that. I'm going to do my best to act the way that I need to be. I have to act the way that I need to be. So as you invest yourself in the kingdom of God, he'll continue to add wisdom and understanding to your life. Many think of God's blessings as, as money or, or material objects, but God's blessings come in so many different ways. God's blessings can come as protection over your family or peace in your life when the world is in chaos and turmoil. God gives us a joy uh, that cannot be taken away or measured. And if you remember anything, do not compare yourselves to one another. The Bible says he that compareth himself to someone else is not a wise person. 
who we compare ourselves to is to Jesus Christ. We have to compare ourselves to him. That's what Christianity is all about. And if you compare yourself to Jesus, you'll always find places in your life to work on, to become the best that you can be. The Bible says we do this until we come in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect man, unto the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, according to Ephesians 4.13. Both the second and the third servant here could have complained because they didn't get as much as the first servant. But the second servant just, just did what he knew to do with what God gave him. I mean, the second servant was given two talents. The first servant was given five talents. So why in the world, you know, what, well, he got five. He, he had three more than I had. But instead of complaining about it, he did the same thing that the first servant did. He simply invested it and doubled it. So he didn't compare himself to the first servant. He just worked with what he had. And my Lord, if we could all do that, how much better off we would be. You know, the greatest thing that we can ever hear is, well done, thou good and faithful servant, isn't it? I think all of us would really want to, to hear that. I think we would be foolish not to desire that. I want to jump into something else here. I'm still on the stewardship. We're going to talk about structuring your personal time. Any time that you're in the church, you're working in ministry, in fellowship, you know, our fellowship groups, our home, home groups, we're working in, in doing things, and even within the church, in ministry groups, singers, whatever it may be, uh, there has to be a structure to what we do because it's really easy to get out of balance. And when you're out of balance, then you begin to... Let, let, let me give you the best thing you're going to get tonight. If you get out of balance and you get overstressed, you begin to live two lives. You'll go to another life. Oh, you'll still be the person in church, but you'll go to an escape somewhere and you'll live a second life. And when I'm saying that, it may not always be the best thing that you could ever do. Uh, and you have to be careful with that. That is the person who comes to church and acts one way and then goes home or goes to work and acts completely different because they get stressed out. And that does happen. It's vital and it's important to structure your personal time and to prioritize it. If you, if you do not prioritize your time, then guess what? Others are going to do it for you. They will, they will do it. They'll, do, they, they'll, they'll prioritize your time. They'll take advantage of you as much as they can. First and the greatest commandment of all is to love God with all of your heart, soul and your mind that's the greatest therefore it's going to be easy to make him the first priority in your life that's what we need to do so the first and greatest commandment should be the first greatest priority of our life to love god so let's break that down let's look at daily prayer first timothy 2 1 through 4 says i exhort therefore that first of all let's look at them supplications one prayers two intercession three and giving of thanks for. Be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. That's God's will, all men to be saved. We know that won't happen, but it is God's will. All right, we had four different kinds of prayer there. And there is a time in the season, and I've taught on this before, prayer is like turning the knob on a television set. That is, you turn until you find what you want. Okay? There's times that you make supplications. There's times that you just pray out loud. A prayer, when it says prayer, that's talking about the ability to pray in a group gathering. You know, out loud, saying of prayers. You can actually bring people in the presence of God praying over the dinner table. It, it can happen. So you have supplications, you have prayers, you have intercessions. There's a time to intercede. And then there's the giving of thanks, which is, should be. That's four of them. And then there's the fifth one, which is praying in the Spirit. That's praying in tongues. So there's five different forms of prayer. And then you keep turning the channel until you figure out which one that you need to do in any particular time. That's why there's sometimes you come down here, you don't necessarily feel like interceding. So it may be just time that you have supplication. Or you can spend an hour, if you would, giving thanks to God for everything that God's done for you throughout your whole life. 
There's nothing wrong with that. That's the kind that you found a channel where things work. If you ever, you understand what I'm saying? If you got to that point where you finally come to the, the one thing you knew you needed to pray, and everything came naturally, and it just, you got lost in prayer, and before long, time just got away from you. That is what you're looking for. Keep changing channels till you find it. But this is, this is daily prayer. And we're going to you know, look at some of this. One of the dangers for not putting God first is that he may not get any of your time at all. So if you don't put him first, it's a good chance he didn't get any of your time. Once you've launched yourself into your day, where are we going to fit, fit in your fellowship time with God? And when, when we do not put God first, we tend to make carnal decisions, and it takes us longer than usual to accomplish our goals. God not only wants us to be first in, uh, first in your life, he wants to be your priority. He does not want what is left over in your life. He wants the first fruits of your life. Titus 3, 5 through 6 says, It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Isn't it interesting uh, that part of our salvation is hinged upon the renewal of the Holy Ghost in our lives? That's something that has to be renewed often. I say it a lot. I like to speak in tongues every day. I'm not just talking in tongues. I'm renewing myself in the Holy Ghost. There is a prayer language of tongues, which you can pray in tongues. I made that as praying in the Spirit. But when you renew yourself in the Holy Ghost, it's a different thing altogether. That's when you pray and you begin to worship, just like you did initially when you received the Holy Ghost, until you begin to speak with other tongues. That's a renewing, that's a refreshing, and you know when you've hit that one. You know exactly what I'm talking about. That joy gets renewed in your life. Peace comes again. You know, all of this is what that's vital for us to do. This is our personal life, our personal time, if you would. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. The Apostle Paul wrote by the Holy Ghost that our inward man is to be renewed daily. We need to be encouraged to pray at least 30 minutes to an hour daily. Now, this is what this says. I want to give it to you this way. If you can start and you can get 15 minutes of prayer in, then work yourself up. Don't get up there and say, I'm going to pray an hour every day and make it to 20 minutes and give up altogether. You pat yourself on the back when you've made 15 minutes. Then you pat yourself on the back when you've made 30 minutes. Then you pat yourself on the back when you've made 45 minutes. And then you pat yourself on the back when you've made an hour. You're saying, boy, you've got to be careful. You break your arm patting yourself on your back. But you, you can and you should do it. Because it can make you feel good about yourself because you have accomplished something. That's the same way with fasting. You make it 24 hours, pat yourself on the back. You make it three days, do double flips all the way to the front of the church. You make it seven days, you're just going to be floating out of here. Okay? And believe me, you do. You do. And, and there's and, and you should you should do it. work yourself into this. Now, one of the, let me we're, we're talking about our personal life. When it comes to to, to fasting, that is when and we've got people do this. And I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out there. When you know and you want to try to go on a three day fast, and you should try to do it every quarter, and every year you should try to go on a seven day. There are some people I know that go on thirty and forty day fast. They need to be sure that they're in the Holy Ghost when they do it. Okay. If you want to come down, you want to go on, and you don't need to tell. The Bible says to not let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. But you should come down to me and let me know and be under my umbrella of authority when you do it. Let me pray over you. Now, when it says anointing with oil, that's talking about Jesus makes that, you know, anoint your head with oil so no one will know that you're fasting. He was talking about making your face shine is what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about like we anoint with oil. But you can still come down and be prayed over. And be put, just put yourself under the authority of the pastor, and it will go better for you if you do that. And if I, you come down, someone on a seven-day fast, and I say to you, no, you're not. Am I being mean and wicked, or are you truly putting yourself under my authority? Maybe I know something that you don't know. Maybe I don't feel right about it. If you put yourself under that authority, you'll be more successful at what you do. Okay? Now, I jumped ahead of myself on that one, but let's look, at, let's look at daily Bible reading. We also need to be faithful in Bible reading. 
Joshua 1, 7 through 8 says, Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, uh, commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shall thou make thy way prosperous, and then shall thou have good success. You should strive your best to read. Uh, try, if you again, we'll, we'll go with Bible reading like you do with prayer. If you're going to do 15 minutes of Bible reading, uh, you get up to 30 minutes of Bible reading. You should get your, you, you, you should get to the point where you enjoy it. Okay, uh, you can read through the Bible uh, in a year if you read three chapters a day, and then I think I can't remember exactly. There's there's about one day a month you need to read eight chapters, something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head. But if you if you just make a habit out of it, and you get to the point where uh, a lot of times in Bible reading and Bible study, uh, I'm going to tell you how it works with me. Uh, you can read it. You can read it like you would read a, a, a novel. You know, you start in a, a Genesis. How I always do it is I can I read a book in the Bible and I always mark my Bible that I read that chapter or that that book. And then I may not. I may read Matthew, then jump all the way back to Genesis and and do it that way. I that's what I like to do. And then if I get in something that reminds me of something else, then I'll I'll make a study out of it and go back to another completely different book to you know different chapter or whatever and read something that is similar to what i just read it reminds me of something that is the best way and it keeps you interested you get into i think it's luke one or and maybe it's matthew one i can't remember which one it is where it gets in he beget that and he beget this and he beget 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 and i skipped that i never got a message out of the begetting never one time i tried I thought I'd try to work on getting a message out of he beget that. <laughs> but, you know, you'd be surprised what you, you can do if you just, you know, don't make a job out of it. Sometimes you have to force a little bit, but finally get to the point where you do what you enjoy doing with it. So that, that's, that's important. Take time to rest. Take time to rest. And we know that God rested, didn't we? He rested on the seventh day. We need to do the same thing. It took him six days to create the world. He rested on the seventh day. He made it holy. The seventh day is called the Sabbath day, day of rest. However, the Lord fulfilled this day of rest for us in a spiritual sense by, us, by giving us the Holy Ghost. That is our rest. So that means that we need to rest in the Holy Ghost. And this does not mean that he fulfilled it for us physically. We still need to take the day of rest. Uh, and this is important to God and very scriptural. Uh, when the land did not get its Sabbath day, then the Lord made it happen. And for 70 years, the land lay, had, had rest in order to make up for the time that the land did not get rest. So it's important for him because he forced a rest on the land. And I think he will do the same thing to us. You ever heard anybody said that I kept going too fast and wound up in the hospital for eight, ten days? That does happen. You know, you can either do it the way you should do it, or God will make you do it, one or, the, one or the other. Now, Paul was a very interesting man of God. It appears as if he worked night and day, and he did. But several times the Lord allowed him to go to prison. And from prison, he wrote the, the books of the Bible. So, you know, if you wind up in jail, maybe you don't rest enough. <laughs> You know, there are preachers, and I know them personally, are so stressed out with life in general that they don't take time to rest their bodies, and their, their body breaks down, and they ask God to heal them. And in His great mercy, He does sometimes, but other times He just lets us suffer until we understand that we must rest. And sometimes ministers never get the principle. And they go on to be with the Lord before their, their, their calling is fulfilled. And that, I take that very seriously, very seriously, because that can happen. And it's happened more than once. So try to take at least one day a week of total rest. Also, uh, you know, when you do this, uh, you know, do, don't work and minister for 14 or 15 hours a day. Take time to enjoy life that God's given you. You know, God has given us life, and it's okay to have some joy in life. And, you know, some preachers say, well, I get my rest when I preach. That's not resting. I was young one time, and I even said that. And I learned real quickly that that's not the way to do things. I'd rather 
preach occasionally and do a good job than to preach all the time and do bad jobs. That's the best you're going to get tonight right there. Now, is everybody ready? This is the important one. I'm taking a little more time tonight. It's all right. You need alone time. Everybody say alone. That means you don't you go on vacation by yourself. You don't take 14 other families out of the church. There are some people who are scared to death being by themselves. They are. They can't stand it. I know I know men who can't tolerate being by themselves. I could go so many places with this, I won't. So many times as as ministers, we you you do something for someone or we're with our family, and we find ourselves simply becoming so irritable that even our families don't want to spend time with us. You hear? And that can happen with anybody. It's not just preachers. This should be a sign that you need to take some alone time. I love alone time. I absolutely am. Con- I, alone time is the greatest thing that ever happened. You know, what do you like to do? And again, we go back. Preaching doesn't count. This was a good answer, but it was it, it, it's, preaching is not the right answer. You need a hobby, a place to be alone, or something to do where you can get away from everyone and everything and just relax your mind. For some people, it's golfing, some fishing, some reading, hiking, you know, all these. I, I do all of them. I like rest of my mind. I love going to the deer stand. I love. I absolutely love it because I take the Bible and read it in places that I don't normally, you know, I can read it or listen, you know. You should be surprised things I take to a deer stand. I put a pack, weigh 75 pounds, and I'm all broke down. And I take it to the deer stand. And I make so much racket, there's not a way a deer would ever come around. Because if it does have shoot it, then I have more work to do. So I don't want to do that. So, <laughs> so you know, you, you do all these. Take time to be by yourself and relax. However, do not allow yourself to overdo this and become lazy because you can see what David happened with David in that situation. David was by himself bored to death, looked over on the rooftop, and there was Bathsheba taking a bath. And we all know the rest of the story. And that was at a time of war when he should have been out warring. So you, we, we can see this. <clears throat> we also must be very careful. And if you, get tired that, uh, if you get tired that you can barely move, or get so tired, rather, that you can barely move without groaning, then you may get yourself into trouble because you, this is where I, I mentioned this earlier, because you may look for an escape route you can begin to lead two lifestyles. And many ministers have failed in this area of their life. Make yourself accountable to someone. You know, it's, it, it's right to be accountable. It's right to, when it comes to fasting, it doesn't matter. It can be fasting. It can be in a situation like this where men just go, go, go. They're workaholics. They, they, just, they destroy their families. We've got We've got men out there that were, were very good at what they did, you know, evangelistic, whatever, that... that they, they, they taught everybody in every church how to win souls, but their family went to hell. Now, is that right? There's a time that you have to rest. There's a time you invest yourself in your family and not in everything else. I got a real a sore spot when it comes to some of this stuff. This is this is a again. I go back and I said it. You know, you got to be careful. You got to spend time with just them and not have someone along constantly that 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 gets your time. You know, I'm going on vacation so I can be with my kids, and you take another family and you're with them instead of with your family. That good preaching. Don't like that at all. Good. I'll make it even harder. And a lot of preachers have failed in this area. And this is where, again, going to being accountable. And, and a lot of times in, in, in just in, in, uh, in a marriage, make, a man can make himself accountable unto his wife, wife to her husband. Or, or some, somebody, a friend, you know, that can look at you and say, you need to stop. And then if you get mad at that person, then you're not accountable to that person. If you say, I want to make myself accountable to you, then you've got to listen to whatever that person that you made yourself accountable to has to say. So if they say no, then you need to, you need to not do it. A lot of times people come after they've made up their mind. Oh, yeah, well, I'm going to let you know I'm going to do this. Well, why, why even bother telling me? Why didn't you ask? Sometimes you need to go by yourself and go fishing. 
I think I just taught myself in doing that tomorrow. I really preached myself tonight. You know what I'm talking about, don't you, Brother Manley? You used to work on that dock, have him crappie come up. There's nothing like it, is there? It's a lot of fun. Then you messed up and got married. See what? <laughs> you could have been a professional. Oh, it was her. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. So, so time for yourself. And it's 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 important, and I'm gonna I'm gonna stop on that. It's got a little later, and I expected it to. And but I, I did want to finish that particular part of it. Stand with me, if you would. It is easy in our fast-paced world to get things so out of sync. And you begin to think something is wrong. I, I, I know personally, and to some extent, I still do it, is that if I don't have something on my mind to do, I feel bad. I can't sit. I can't, you know, because I feel like something needs to be done. I, I have anticipated the phone ringing so long that it would ring. Yeah, I went to bed at night. Now, I don't know if it was prophetic or I just, because I was thinking it. This phone's going to ring tonight. Sure enough, it did. So I finally got smart. I can't hear it anymore. My, and I put my cell phone so many rooms away that there's no way. And then I put it on vibrate, so there's no way I'd ever know it. And then whenever you say, I tried to call you, I, oh, I, you know, my phone was on like, 17 rooms away. It was on my break. <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's, it, it's, it's time that you, you, you've got to just get your mind off of everything. And, just, and, and, you know, that's when God can speak to you. You know, really, yeah, even, you know, the Bible says, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee, for they trusteth in thee. And, and, and that, that's true. But sometimes just going out, and getting your mind, um, I, it's got a hard thing to explain. Some of you will understand this. It's not that you're trying to ask God for anything. You're just meditating on him in general. And when you just meditate on the goodness of God, or you're out in nature somewhere, and you, you, just, you look at something, and just, it's almost hard, especially this time of year, it's really special to me, when you start seeing the, the leaves change, and you look at that color, and you say, how in the world can anybody believe this just happened by chance? You know, you meditate on this thing, and that's when God can begin to plant things in your heart and give you true peace. Raise your hands to him with me right now. Lord, we thank you, and we ask God that you bless each and every one. Keep them safe. Let them have that time with you, Lord, and also time alone, I pray, God, that they can see that need, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you.